Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. With us today on Catholic Baltimore is Edward Herrera, Director of the Office of Marriage and Family Life for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We're talking today about the 50th anniversary of Pope Paul VI's landmark document about married love and human life, Humanae Vitae. Archbishop William E. Lurie is releasing this summer a reflection marking the anniversary of the document. Welcome to the show, Edward. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here with you today. In Archbishop Lurie's pastoral reflection, he calls Humanae Vitae a prophetically challenging letter. What does he mean by that? Yeah, I thought that was interesting phrasing that he used there because a lot of a lot of commentators have said that Humanae Vitae is prophetic, right? That it's prophetic and a lot of them are speaking about it in terms of the sexual revolution and kind of uh, that in some ways they're using the prophetic uh, in the sense of looking towards the future, like Pope Paul VI was seeing the future. Whereas Archbishop Laurie, it, it seems from the text that in saying prophetically challenging, that it's this Old Testament idea of what a prophet is, right? A prophet is someone who tells the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And so Pope Paul VI was someone who was telling the truth, and that truth is challenging. Mm-hmm. I have heard a lot of commentators in recent weeks talking about this and saying, was he, was Paul VI really being prophetic in seeing that future of what would happen if everything continued as it was? Or, you know, was he just really out of line? And, and I, what I've been hearing people say is he really did predict a lot of what, what came forward. Yes, and uh, there's a, a line in the, the Archbishop's Reflection where he talks a little bit about, about this precisely and uh, some of the things that you would see in terms of the interactions between men and women and the way in which men might uh, take advantage of women, for example, or this sort of attitude or disposition towards women. Uh, and the Archbishop picks up on the, uh, particularly the, the Me Too culture, so to speak, the hashtag Me Too of some of these abuses of power in different ways. Uh, and I think that Paul VI really did see the future and kind of what, what trajectory the world was taking in terms of these, these relationships between men and women. Mm-hmm. Humanae Vitae was released in the late 1960s, so that was really as the sexual revolution was at its peak. You know, Woodstock and all of those kinds of things happening all around the same time. How did that social milieu affect what Pope Paul VI said in the document, and how was that message received at that time? Yeah, so unfortunately, I think the message, to answer your second question, I don't think the message was well received. Uh, And it's something that, I mean, if you look at the stats in terms of contraceptive use among Catholics, among the general population is very much a high level of of use by Catholics and non-Catholics alike. But in terms of the the social uh, situation, I think it was much more moving towards uh, a different understanding of relationships between men and women that there really wasn't, you know, I mean, and, and we see this kind of with the, the breakdown of the family and kind of the, the aftershock uh, with the kind of the rate of divorce in the 1980s and things like that. And just what that did to our understanding of family, to the understanding of the relationship between men and women. But certainly there 
there were a lot of cultural forces at, at work during that time period that made it uh, made it of a particular challenge, I think, in the church. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who say that Catholics, as much as the rest of the population, does not practice uh, the kinds of things that Humanivite encouraged and and thought would be appropriate, and that even some priests aren't really encouraging their their flock to embrace this. What's the difference when you look at this between kind of enforcing these norms and getting people to embrace them or encouraging them to really welcome this loving message into their homes? Right. And I think that a a huge piece of that is the invitation, right? It's uh, sharing with people just the beauty of married love and what uh, love is truly called to be. I think that sometimes, uh, you know, when we talk about kind of the no, 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 it's not helpful, right? We're called to really lead with beauty. Bishop Barron often talks about that and he shows it with all of his, the, the kind of uh, beautiful videos that he creates and things. But this idea of we lead with the beauty and that makes it no less true um, or no less good. But people are drawn uh, to this beautiful message. I think that's why uh, the witnesses of, of other married couples of living this out is really what draws us, right? It's not necessarily, uh, you know, some people are drawn to, uh, they read their way into the church. But I think a lot of us, when we see folks that are living this out, that's what draws us to it. I, I know that's a, what I always speak of with my grandparents of uh, married 69 years oh, and seeing the, yeah, seeing the beauty of, of lived marriage is, is what we desire. And so I think that's uh, one of the most compelling witnesses is, is living that out. Mm-hmm. Paul VI is not alone in his teachings on love. Uh, certainly Pope John Paul II, Pope Benedict, Pope Francis, who followed him, have all commented on this human condition. Uh, the Archbishop notes in his reflection, as St. John Paul II said, and Pope Francis reaffirmed in The Joy of Love, man cannot live without love. He remains a being that is incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless if love is not revealed to him, if he does not encounter love, if he does not experience it and make it his own, and if he does not participate intimately in it. If love is innate and intimate, what does that say about the Tinder culture where dating is all about swiping left or right and and one night stands and those kinds of things. How can young people today learn about this transformative love, the kind of 69-year marriage that your grandparents have? Yeah, and I I think it's uh, as much as we can by surrounding them with relationships that are captivating. I know the Archbishop also quotes this great line from from Pope Francis of finding new language, new forms of argument that, that really inspire and captivate and speak to the young people's sense of kind of authenticity, this this drive for what love truly is. I think it's uh, it's hard in the culture that we live in, the tender culture and things like that. But more and more, I find that you read more uh, articles where there is still something something within us that that desire for the love, the desire for the good, is always deeper than the fragmentation or the things that are pulling us in in different directions. I mean, which is simply to say that. The, that the good is always deeper than the sin, right? Mm-hmm. The good is always deeper. We have even today in good marriages, in solid marriages, there are so many distractions. There's, you know, kids pulling you one way or the other. You've got soccer practice and homework and and your own digital devices. So, you know, people are even sitting at the dinner table and they're reading their, their, their iPhone or their Facebook feed. 
how do you help people understand that this connection one-to-one between husband and wife is the basis for everything? Yeah, and that's uh, that's something that's uh, that's challenging. I mean, that's challenging for for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, for uh, for all of us as married men and women to try to figure out how to live that out with these these things that are pulling us in so many directions. So much. Uh, the more I would say that we can connect with others that are trying to live this out is such a uh, such an important piece. Is to to develop bonds uh, in a culture where we are so fragmented. To develop deep and meaningful relationships when we are in kind of a Facebook culture and a, um, a Twitter culture and these sorts of things. So the more that we can, can deepen relationships and form deeper bonds uh, is really going to in turn strengthen all of our relationships, whether it be our marriage, our relationships with our children, these sorts of things. We have just a little bit of time left. Can you tell us before the break, uh, what kind of programs does your office, the Office of Marriage and Family Life, what do you have for couples that want to, that are dating or they're married and want to enrich their, their life as a couple? What have, you, what have you got to offer? Sure, Chris. I appreciate you asking that. The Office of Marriage and Family Life holds uh, regional and regular uh, marriage retreat days. It's called Given, Unveiling the Mystery of Marriage. And it's just a, an opportunity to come together as couples that are dating, married, and engaged to spend time together to talk about serious questions. It offers an opportunity for reconciliation, an opportunity of fellowship to hear a little bit about the theology of marriage, and honestly, to just take a day aside together where you're focusing on each other, focusing on your relationships. And you can find more about it on, uh, actually, our <laughs> funny enough, on our Facebook site, uh, facebook.com slash given marriage. Again, that's facebook.com slash given marriage. That's a time when it's okay to look at Facebook as a, as a exactly. couple. If you're looking at our page or the Catholic Review, we're happy to have you. Great. Well, thanks so much. We've been talking with Edward Herrera, Director of the Office of Marriage and Family Life for the Archdiocese of Baltimore, about Pope Paul VI Encyclical Humanae Vitae, which is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Chris. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Welcome back to Catholic Baltimore. Recently, John Romanowski, Executive Director of Evangelization for the Archdiocese of Baltimore, sat down with Archbishop William E. Lurie 
for our conversation about the Archbishop's new pastoral reflection on the 50th anniversary of Humanae Vitae, Pope Paul VI's landmark 1968 encyclical about human life. Why write a reflection now about Humanae Vitae? What's so special about this particular letter when popes write so many? We are celebrating the 50th anniversary of Humanae Vitae, uh, of human life. And it is one of blessed Pope Paul VI's landmark encyclicals. It's a landmark encyclical because it goes to that which is most important in our human existence, life and love. And Pope Paul VI is offering us loving, morally sound, pastoral guidance on human life and love, telling us that our capacity to express love needs to reflect God's own love for us, a love that is total, a love that is generous, a love that is life-giving and fruitful. And so Paul is, first of all, not coming out with a ban against artificial contraception, what he is first and foremost doing is encouraging us to love like God does. For when God loves us, he gives us life. And when he gives us life, he loves us. What we see in our society when we sever life from love in the marital act are some very negative consequences. We see the breakdown of the family. We see young people growing up uh, absent love, absent family life. Uh, we see disrespect for women. We see sexuality becoming a commodity. We see a redefinition of marriage. Many things like that that have tremendously negative consequences in people's lives. And so we are celebrating and revisiting this encyclical because we want to celebrate and revisit our human dignity, our human nature, and we want to recoup the ability uh, to love as God loves us. Some have commented that your reflections in this letter express a sort of tenderness and intimate connection to marriage and family life on your own behalf. Can you share where you draw some of your inspiration and perhaps have your own parents influence your understanding of marriage and family? I drew inspiration for my reflections from married couples. The married couples whom I have come to know, to love in my uh, 41 years as a priest. That's one of the beauties of being a priest is you get to know so many couples, and they share with you something of their own faith journey. If you make yourself available to them, they reward you by sharing their own journey, their own struggle. And I have met, happily, during these 40 years, so many couples who have strived to live the teaching of Humani Vitae. It's not been easy. There have been times of doubt. There have been times of struggle but I have admired so much their great fidelity. And I was blessed to see it in my own home. My mom and dad, now in their late 90s, they've been married 71 years. And I have seen them 
live the church's teaching with extraordinary generosity, um, accepting us as the, their, their sons, as gifts from God, loving us, walking with us, growing in their love for each other as they did so. It's been a beautiful thing. And so in talking about this, I didn't come at it as, as a theological expert or as someone who has all the answers. I, I tried to draw on what I have experienced by coming to know these beautiful couples and, of course, the journey of my own wonderful mom and dad. How is your vocation as a priest and now archbishop enriched by relationships with married couples? And how do you hope that priesthood might bear witness to the sacrificial love that's essential for married couples to be living in their own vocation? Isn't it the case that we're all in this together? Um, the vocations in the life of the church complement, complete, mutually enrich one another. So uh, I draw in my own living of the priesthood, great inspiration from married couples. When you see a good father loving his children, it says a lot to me about what I should be like as a spiritual father and as a pastor. I see a mother loving her children and nurturing her children in such a beautiful way. I get a sense of what the church ought to be like in fostering uh, God's children, God's family. Uh, when I see couples who are giving of themselves heroically, uh, giving of themselves to their family and to their children and to the wider community, I get a sense of the sacrificial love that is at the very heart of the priesthood. Being a priest and living the vocation of marriage and family are really two different but complementary ways of being disciples of Jesus, followers of Christ, deeply in love with the Lord, open to the gospel, and at the service of the church's mission. When you see it that way, you recognize no one is dominating the other. Rather, it's, it's a coming together in love. It's a complementarity that is absolutely beautiful and, and life-giving. So for a couple to be happy, I think they have every right to look to good priests and to their example of sacrificial love. For a priest to live his vocation happily and fruitfully, he should be friends with couples who are living their vocation faithfully and fruitfully and happily. What words of encouragement might you give to couples who are trying to live this teaching but finding it challenging? Being a follower of Christ, living the gospel, is something that is challenging for people in every vocation and in every walk of life. So when a couple says to me, it's really hard to live the teaching of Humanae Vitae, I can't disagree with them. 
I have plenty of challenges living my own vocation. And in many ways, the sources of encouragement are exactly the same. First of all, prayer. When a couple prays together, they strengthen each other in the power of God's grace and in the Holy Spirit. When a couple gets together to contemplate what is the meaning of their vocation in the life of the church. And when they grow in a vision of what this is, their hearts are opened more and more to this teaching. When they come to associate with other couples who are striving to live this teaching, they find support. These are the same things I need to do as a priest. I need to pray every day. I need to contemplate why it is God called me to be a priest in the first place and what it means to be a priest. And I need to associate with other priests who are trying to live the same vocation. One of the points you make in your reflection is um, to encourage folks to take, a, take another look on this anniversary. So if, if couples are unsure about this teaching, or perhaps a little more than unsure, um, how would you encourage them to take another look at Himani Vitae and the Church's teaching on um, on uh, marriage and family and mar- um, the, this, this marriage between life and love um, that married couples are called to? So as you know, when Humani Vitae was first issued back in 1968, it landed with a thud. It was rejected pretty much across the board. But you know, faithful pastors and teachers and faithful lay couples have continued carrying the flame these past five decades. You have to think about uh, a great pastor like St. John Paul II, Pope Benedict, and Pope Francis. They have carried the flame, held up the church's authentic teaching, the truth about life and love, and you've seen many, many couples striving to live this. I would say that if a couple would like to take a second look, and I hope there will be many, uh, that's a good place to start. For example, St. John Paul II left us profound and beautiful teachings, spelling out the teaching of Pope Paul VI. If you read uh, Amoris Laetitia, you will find a beautiful vision of life and love expressed uh, in very simple and accessible language uh, by Pope Francis. He has a way with words. He has a way of getting down to the nub of things. That's one place to look. Uh, A second place might be to uh, look at what some younger people are doing these days. I mentioned this in, in, in the reflection that I wrote, that some people, for purely non-religious reasons, are turning to natural family planning. They're kind of rejecting the old maxim that there's better living through chemicals. And they are beginning to say, maybe uh, a more natural approach to life and love makes sense. We should pay attention to their experience. And thirdly, I can't stress enough the importance of coming to know couples who are striving to live the teaching joyfully and to welcome children into their life, but who are also exercising responsible parenthood. Uh, Their example is probably 
the most powerful way of accessing the visionary teaching of Pope Paul VI. You've been listening to Archbishop William E. Laurie of Baltimore sharing his reflections about the 50th anniversary of Pope Paul VI's encyclical Humanae Vitae of Human Life. Our guest host was John Romanowski, Executive Director of Evangelization for the Archdiocese. Thanks for listening to Catholic Baltimore. For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.